Um, this, this week we've had quite a, quite a busy week, a, a full week. Um, on Monday, I think that was this week, right? Yes. Um, Monday, the small group that I'm a part of, led by Jen Fraser, who was up here, um, we uh, helped in the homework diners that are here at Owen Middle School every Monday. Um, so we, we helped to, we were the hosts, uh, along with the United Way who runs them. Uh, so we were like serving meals, and uh, some of us were trying to help with homework. Uh, who knows to what degree of success. Um, it, was, it was a great time. It was uh, a lot of fun, actually. And uh, if, you, if you're so inclined, uh, they do this every Monday. If you want to just come and see what it's like, you're, you get a free meal and you get to just hang out with other people from the community. It's offered to basically anybody in our area, uh, especially people who have kids at any of the schools in, in Black Mountain. Um, some, of, some of our folks go and tutor regularly. This is my first time. Uh, I, I would really like to, to go back. Um, and if you would like to be plugged in doing stuff like that, we try to get our small groups plugged into serving in our school here and, uh, and elsewhere, and, and so you should first join a small group, and then we can get you plugged into stuff like that. Um, I was really just uh, amazed, for one, how enjoyable it was. I was just nervous that I was gonna mess up tutoring or that, I don't know, somehow I'd miss a symbol of taco salad, um, but it was great, and uh, uh, our families brought their little kids, and it was great for them too, so you don't have to worry about should I not bring my, my kids, and, if you have kids, it's just, a, it was a great time. And then uh, this weekend, uh, we, a number of us went on our first church mission trip, overnight service project thing. Um, so if you see some bedraggled, smelly people around, um, some of them came straight from there this morning. Uh, they, they, we all went to a camp out near Marshall and call Glory Ridge and help set it up for the summer. They help facilitate groups and who will do more service projects. So we're serving the servers. Uh, it was so fun. It was beautiful there and uh, it was very cold Friday night and we were sleeping basically outside. So that was fun, but we were all cold together, which is always wonderful because then you can just look at each other in the eye in the morning and say, we survived this. Um, and we had, we, we did a few service projects Saturday morning, really busted out some things on their list all around the grounds, and then we just had fun, and it was great. There was a very intense game of wiffle ball that evening. Um, things got a little out of control, and some people are way too competitive. It's me. I'm the person. <laughs> it's me. Um, although, in fairness, you just see my wife. Um, we had a great time. If you, if you can swing it next time we go, uh, you should try to make time for it. Even if you can come for, for just one day, the, the view alone was, was worth the drive. It was pretty incredible. Um, as I was reflecting on my experiences this week at Homework Diner and then uh, at that camp uh, with, with all of our, our folks, we had about 50 people there, uh, I just felt like I had a number of things to say 
in response to, to what had happened. And this morning, I just decided I'm not going to move on to our next week in our series that we've been in. We're just going to stop and, and talk about uh, what I think is something that's very important to, to our church and to the body of Christ uh, in general. So um, this is not exactly on the fly, but it's as close to on the fly as you get. This is almost extemporaneous speaking. If you would turn to Philippians 2, I'm going to start there. should be on the screen. There it is. Starting at verse 4, going to verse 11. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with your people and that you speak to your people, that you speak to us by your word, constantly applying it to us so that we might see you more clearly and our hearts would be brought to love you more deeply and truly. Father, I pray that we would be attuned to your voice that you would open our ears and our hearts would be soft. Jesus, open our eyes so that we can see you lifted up and exalted as the Lord over all the earth. We ask this in your name. Amen. This, this passage here in Philippians 2 is, is pretty famous. It's a, Philippians is a letter that Paul writes to his friends in Philippi. Uh, it's perhaps his most joyful letter that he, he writes. A lot of times he's writing to people and saying, you idiots, get your act together. And in Philippians, he's not. He's just happy. He's happy about what they're doing and what's going on. And he, this little section here in Philippians 2, he, he seems to be quoting this old hymn, this very, very old confession or creed or hymn of the church that, that talks about how Jesus makes this down and up journey, what we would call the, the humiliation and exaltation of Christ, how Jesus is enthroned for all of eternity, but doesn't grasp onto that, but instead offers himself up, emptying himself, divesting himself of power and rights and becoming a man, becoming a servant, going to death. And then ultimately God exalts him, God the Father exalts him. And, and the ultimate end of Jesus' down and up story is that he will be exalted over every people, that he be lifted up and every tribe and tongue would see him, behold him, and confess him uh, as who he really is. And it, we can see in the New Testament how this idea uh, is being figured out in process in the church. Uh, the book of Acts 
uh, is this account of how the church grows from this little movement in Jerusalem, basically, to outward to, to Judea and Samaria to fill Israel, and then from there to the ends of the earth. And this transition is quite confusing for them because these are all Israelites. And for as long as they have been a people, thousands of years, hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of years, the plan and story of God has always been advanced through Israel. So the solution to every problem that God would want to present is through Israel. But then this strange thing happens after Jesus. One day, Peter is basically standing on a roof and he's hungry and he has this vision of a blanket filled with animals dropping down in front of him and he hears a voice saying, take and eat this. And he says, I can't. These animals are unclean. They're, they're not permitted for Israelites to eat these animals. And the voice tells him to take and eat and he just, as he's an obedient, observant Jew, and he says, no, I'm not going to do this. And the voice says, um, what, what I... Uh, have made clean, do not call unclean. And the vision ends, and these people show up at at Peter's place, and they're asking him to come see this Gentile, this non-Israelite, to come and hear the words of Peter to this this Gentile. Peter goes to this man, Cornelius' house, who has been interested in Jewish teaching. He's what they call a God-fearer. He's not become one of them, but he's interested and he's around. And Peter just starts to tell the story of Jesus, what God has chosen to do in and through Jesus. And sort of in the end, in the, in the middle of the end of his talk, the Holy Spirit just falls. And these people, Gentiles, Romans, are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues and evidencing all of these signs that these Jewish believers had also evidenced. And they they were just, they hit a speed bump. What we always thought the plan was for all of them to become one of us. And now it seems like God is making his people out of people who are not like us. So what, what is that all about? Is this allowed? Is this a mistake? Did the Holy Spirit hit the wrong target? I mean, these people weren't even baptized with water yet. And so eventually in Acts 15, they have a big, big meeting about this. We call the first council of the church. And church councils are big deal, mega deal. This is the very first one. And they meet in Jerusalem and they say, guys, we're all Jews here. We know the story of Israel. This is the way that things have always gone. What do we do with all these Gentiles, all these people who are not like us? Do we teach them a law, the law? Do we circumcise them in? Do we teach them the laws of dietary obedience and all these things? And, uh, and Peter stands up in Acts 15 and he says, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. 
Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter's response is to both state what he's observed and to proclaim the truth of what the church believes. The only thing that saves people is grace by faith. The only way is that the God would graciously grant you the privilege to come close. That there is nothing that you can do to earn your place before Him. Therefore, Peter says, there is now therefore no distinction between us. In other words, in that moment, they'll, they'll go on to decide in the rest of Acts 15. They do not have to become like us to become one of us. They do not have to become an Israelite to become one of us, the people of God. And this question that, that's posed to the church 2,000 years ago is, I would say, a question that is posed to all of us all the time. And we can hear Paul in the book of Philippians pointing forward, looking forward to a day when all things will be made clear. When Jesus is revealed as the resurrected Lord that the church has proclaimed. And Paul's vision there is very important. What he sees there is Jesus exalted, just like the church has always believed. And Jesus, not just exalted, but confessed among all people from every tribe and every tongue. And this is, in fact, in continuity with what all of Scripture will say, both in the Old Testament and the rest of the New Testament. The division of God's magnification and glory extends beyond any singular tribe to all the tribes and tongues or language groups of the earth. Jesus will be recognized for who he is. And this, this is a, an especially relevant observation for us today. Because I'd say that we live in a place and a time where more and more our culture says we long for diverse unity. We want there to be uh, racial reconciliation. We want there, there to be peace between all kinds of groups of people. The problem is in our increasingly secular society, all people can voice is that desire. We desire to see that, that picture mended. We desire to see uh, people standing united. That in itself is a good and godly desire. It is in line with what God intends to do in the earth. Because here we see it in Philippians 2, we see it in Revelation 5, that all the peoples from every skin color on the palette, every language group, they do stand together and see the same thing. So the standing together part, that is desiring something that is good and godly. 
But Paul's description of that moment is not for diversity for diversity's sake, but a diversity that is the work of and a testimony to the greatness of Jesus Christ. And the church has gotten caught on the horns of a dilemma, a false dilemma. Do we proclaim the greatness of Jesus and exclude the necessity of the response of all people, the unity that is necessarily evidence of the greatness of Jesus? Or do we get in line with this push for reconciliation and diversity and put a hold on the Jesus stuff? But the great hope of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, is so great, is so wonderful and magnificent that people from every tribe and tongue will together present, represent and proclaim His greatness. See, what, what, the, what Peter is saying in Acts 15, what the church will say in Acts 15, what Paul will say here in Philippians 2, what he'll make a great deal of time pointing out in the book of Galatians at large, is that the mixing and blending of all kinds of people is itself a proclamation of the power and greatness of Jesus. Because only in His power could people from every classification that you can think of, rich and poor and male and female, slave and free, from every color on the racial spectrum, only Jesus, the magnificent, resplendent, gorgeous, generous, winsome Jesus, could unite such diverse people. The proclamation of Jesus necessitates a blended community and kingdom. And the blended community and kingdom proclaims Jesus. Do you see how that goes together? Now what in the world does that have to do with a church retreat to go clean up a camp? Where, where did that come from? Stick with me. What, what I saw this weekend was wonderful. You know, I, I, uh, I have four kids, if you don't know me. I don't feel like I'm naturally very good with kids. Um, and my own kids would probably agree with that. Um, but in that setting, I felt free to care for and love children that were not my own. I was allowed and taught by the community to be a better lover of people by being with people's kids who are not my own and by watching them love my kids. And, and that is just this wonderful, beautiful gift that I did not expect from whatever 36 hours at Glory Ridge Camp. And then I came home and I thought about 
people who were not there. And what I realized, I sort of scanned back over all the people that were there, was that, by and large, everybody looks the same. And, and I don't mean that we were just that we were all white, although that was true. What I mean is that it, it seemed like we were all cut from, from a same cookie cutter. I mean, we have people in our church that are single, that are unmarried, that, that are married and don't have kids. But if you came to our, our camp trip thing, you would probably think everybody at that church is married with kids. And I thought then that is not quite everything. That is not quite the picture. It's not an accurate reflection of our church. It's not an accurate reflection of the kingdom of God. And that's not to say that what, what, didn't, what happened was terrible or that people did a bad job or I'm wagging my finger for you not being there. That was a wonderful and good thing. And yet, what I think lies ahead of us is something even better. This is what I'd like us to see in Scripture. The kingdom family of God. The kingdom family of God is full of people who are not like us. The kingdom family of God is full of people who are not like us. And it requires us as a people to be committed constantly to being uncomfortable. Everything in our culture is fashioned around marketing. <laughs> marketing drives so much of our cultural formation. And you know what marketing is trying to do? Understand what exactly you are like and present you with a product. So all marketing then becomes about reflecting yourself back to you and hopes that you can see yourself with product A, B, or C. And this is constant. You know, we, we saw in the, the news recently, um, turns out if you use Facebook, like, you're out there. You are in an algorithm that a bunch of people own. So if you had any fascination or addiction to the idea of privacy, I hope you weren't on Facebook. Because that's gone. And largely what they're doing with that data is using better and sharper algorithms so that they will be able to figure you out and put an ad in front of you that matches exactly with the kinds of things that you like. So if you've been on Facebook and, you know, 20 minutes after you decide, I'd really like a cookie, then you see uh, an ad for Nestle chocolate chip cookies, that's not a coincidence. They're using your interests to reflect you back to you. So the whole world in our culture is constantly saying, you are the center. You are the center. The world should look like you. The world should look just like you. In fact, we know that people are increasingly segmenting off to be only with people who are just like them. 
People are selecting the voices that they want to listen to. And guess what? By and large, people listen to people who speak and think just like them. Our culture is geared around homogenization, making people in clumps that all look the same. And if we are not careful and attentive, we can be shaped and formed by that and think that we must always be around people who are just like us. What is required for us as the people of God is a commitment to be like Jesus. Notice Paul's description of Jesus here. Paul describes Jesus as the one that divests himself of rights, taking upon himself the form of a servant. Jesus could, by all rights, just appear and say, I am the true king of heaven and earth. But the Christian way is to follow Jesus who took upon himself the form of a servant. The idea of servanthood is great when you are talking about going to build a Habitat for Humanity house. But when you have to be a servant in the place of community, that, that is where we say, I'll take a different option. I don't want to hang out with people who make me uncomfortable. Naturally, I don't want that. I want everybody to be just like me. So that means I tend to hang out with people who are 30 to 35, married with children, somewhere around that age group. When I look at Jesus, who takes on the form of a servant. He gives himself to people who do not look anything like him. And Jesus, as we, we talked about at the camp yesterday, Jesus washes his friends' disgusting feet and tells his friends, you must be like me. My question, my first question, for us as a people of God is are we willing to be uncomfortable to go befriend and include people who are not like us? The people, and I, and I mean even specifically in this church, who you say, that person is not like me. I'm not sure I want to hang out with them. Do you then instead go hang out with them in an act of service and an act of extended love. What we're talking about is hospitality. Jesus sets a table for, for his people. And Paul will go to great lengths in 1 Corinthians to, to be clear to the church that this table, this one, has no tiers of belonging. There is no hierarchy at the table. There's a flat, extended table where you are simply brother and sister with everyone who sits there. 
Do, is our community similarly open and inviting? My sense is that while we would like to say yes, it is maybe a bit more no than we'd like. You know, how, how clear is it to a single person in our church that they have a place at a trip like the one that we just took? I don't know. I don't know how clear that is. It's announced, but is it beyond announced? I don't know. To the person who is married without children, is there a sense that they have a place at Valley Hope's weekend-long trip, or do they just hear, this is for families with kids? On the flip side, do single people, do married people without kids say, there's kids there, that is not for me. I am not going to do that. I don't know. I don't know if that's what's said. Either side of that equation is not kingdom community. I would say that constantly we need to be evaluating the scope of the gospel as demonstrated in our community and see that God's greatness knits together a community that includes people from every ounce of that spectrum. I don't even know that we think about this very often. Certainly, if I could scan our room, I would say that there's a great tendency amongst us to look like one another. And I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a sign of wickedness or ill intent or anything like that. You know, I, I, was, um, I was watching this video, for a music video, for a song by Andrew Peterson that he put out uh, at the end of March called Is He Worthy? It's based on this picture in Revelation 5 of all the nations and tribes and tongues get together. It's just this litany of questions. Uh, you know, is he worthy to take, take the scroll and open the, open the scroll? He is. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Beautiful song. I sent the link to multiple friends. Um, you know, I was crying like a little baby. Just a lovely song. And it is, you know, we're at that point, we were like four or five days away from Easter. And it's just proclaiming the, the magnificence of Jesus. And I was just so moved by, by this music video. And a couple of days later, I can't even remember how I, I saw this, but I saw that a bunch of people were talking about this music video negatively. And I was like, what? Why? It's great. It's a good song musically, it's good lyrically. This song that is about Revelation 5, the revelation of Jesus uniting the nations with his glory, had not a single person of color in it. Every single face in the video is white. And I didn't notice until it was pointed out to me by people of color. Why? 
Because I expect the kingdom to be full of people who look like me. I expect the world to look like it's full of people just like me. And so when we are gathered as a church family, I'm not talking about the fact that we are just full of white people. I'm saying I am expecting every moment. I never occurred to me when we were at Glory Ridge for the past three days, man, we're all married with kids here until after the fact. And if the kingdom is supposed to be full of people who are not like me, then when I see the room filled with people who are only like me, well, then we can say the kingdom has come, but it is still coming. It is here, but it is not yet fully here. And if we are to be a hospitable kingdom people, we care about that. Next year, when we go, I would love it if we had in that freezing cold bunkhouse not just fathers of the little boys that were there, but guys who are, who are single or are married and don't have kids or people with different color skin than me. And that alone would say, my goodness, look how good and gracious and powerful Jesus Christ is. That we can be family even outside the bounds of the biological family. That is how powerful Jesus is. The other thing that I looked at and reflected upon that I think pertains to this is that Jesus takes children very seriously. I, I, I am a parent. My daughter is right here. This may be a little awkward. When I uh, have to take care of my own kids, I think, whatever we're doing, this isn't for me. Because they're here. So by nature, this can't be for me. This can't be for my benefit. Because they're here. And I, I know, I know that my, my friends without kids feel the same way. Oh, it's a kid thing. It's not for me. Jesus takes children far more seriously than that. Now, he doesn't tell you to, to build an altar to your children and worship them. But he does look at his disciples and say, bring them to me. And the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like this. If, if you are an adult, whether you are a parent or not, you need to be around children to hear Jesus say to you, this is what a kingdom citizen looks like. This is what a kingdom citizen looks like. Jesus is not being sarcastic in that passage. He is not belittling them or anybody else. 
The kingdom of God is made up of people like this. You know, um, I undersell my kids all the time. I, if you're in a small group, you know that we take our, our kids up to Christ Community for, uh, to be a part of kids programming up there. And you probably know by now that we're, we won't be a part of that next year. We outgrew it. We're, we don't fit up there anymore. And I was talking to my daughter about this, um, why she wouldn't be a part of the Christmas program next year. I just said, you know, if we could do whatever we wanted to do, you don't have to worry about where it is or how much it costs. If we could do whatever we want to do on Wednesdays with, with kids, what would you want to do? And at first she was like, this is a weird question. And I was just like, granted, it is. But what would you want to do? And as she talked, she gave me like four brilliant, sensible, practical, gospel-driven suggestions. She's 10. I, I, I rarely ask my children for input on anything because it could descend into chaos at any moment. <laughs> but lurking behind maybe all of the, the goofiness or maybe the, uncomfort, the, the discomfort you might feel being around children, these little kingdom citizens are very seriously loved by God and seriously learning to love God. And when Jesus says, these are the kind of people that the king is, kingdom is full of, you and I should listen. Why does this matter with what I was talking about just a few minutes ago? Because kids are really good at inviting people in to play with them. They're really good at not taking a gauge on how much money you earn or what color skin you have or what neighborhood you live in. If you want to play the game, you can play. And the assumption is, on their part, I want to play and you probably want me to play. So I'm just going to ask to play. Now, children are not, look, I live with four little sinners, okay? They're not perfect. I'm not saying they're these angels, ideal angels. But there are many ways in which a child can teach you. And that, I think, is, is really important for us as a church to all of the kinds and classifications of adults in this room, let me just extend you the invitation. We want you to play. And I may be, not maybe, I am really bad at telling you that. To all my friends who are single, to who are married and don't have kids, I I'm forget that the world keeps moving after 9 p.m., and I don't put myself out there to go keep on doing stuff or inviting you over to my house. And that sounds funny and it sounds like not a big deal, but it is a big deal. 
because I'm serving myself every time I treat the world like it should be just like me. But I want you to play. And and I want you to invite me to play. I'm trusting that you are out there saying like, yeah, he seems like a cool dude. He's fine. Like, I want to play. The kingdom of God is full of a big, big, diverse family that breaks all kinds of barriers. And we're not doing this just to have diversity for diversity's sake. We are looking forward to the end of time. We are looking forward to the ultimate end of humanity. And the picture that we see there at the end, we want a little taste of now. When we pray like Jesus taught us to pray, that the kingdom would come and His will would be done, that the kingdom would come now. That's our prayer. And we also act in obedience with that prayer. The end vision of the earth is Jesus resurrected, standing over every tribe and tongue, and His glory and His majesty evokes the same kind of praise from all kinds of people, from everywhere along the socioeconomic status, every list of tribes, Every list of languages, every race represented confessing the magnificence of Jesus. And if we are not forming ourselves together as a people, teaching each other the habits of what that kingdom looks like, we are failing the test that the church has failed so often. The kingdom is not full of people who are just like me because Jesus is so big and beautiful and good that He can save anyone. And He can save people from anywhere. And you don't have to be big enough. You don't have to be small enough. You don't have to be rich enough or poor enough. You don't have to be the right color. Jesus saves anyone and everyone who, like Peter says, will just put their trust in Jesus. We are this kind of kingdom. We must be this kind of people because He is that kind of God. And we can stand in the middle of our culture who is longing for something that it does not know how to attain. And we can say the thing that you want is fulfilled in Jesus. And our church, this is what we would hope to confess, our own church provides an indication of what the future will look like. That means we have work to do. That means we have a lot of work to do. We must be a hospitable people who in a servant-like demeanor positions ourselves to welcome, befriend, and in some sense, family, people who are not like us in this church. When we are asking for people to come teach our children back in Sunday school, it is not just because we need somebody to watch those crazy people, but because every single person in this church, whether it is in a Sunday school class or whether you are friends with the family, needs to be around these little ideal citizens of the kingdom. 
When we are talking about building community, we are not talking about segmenting people off the youth over here, college over here, singles over here, married without children over here, married and families here, single moms. We'll throw them in there too because we don't know quite what to do with them and we can't create a category for them. We are not throwing these people in buckets, segmenting people off like this. If you are here in this church, we want you to play. We want you in the game. We want you at the table. My brother and my sister, Jesus is so good and generous enough that even people as different as you and I, he would serve us the same meal and make us one family. I love, I love what I saw this week. I do. I'm so grateful. I want us all to see it together. I want us all to be there together. And I want us to live in community like that together. Because I think it speaks truly of the nature of God. And I think it will be the healing of the nations. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for how great and good you are. We thank you, God, that you transcend all of our desires to splinter off, to be with people who are just like us. Yet, God, you are so unexpected in the way that you work, taking the form of a servant, teaching us to be like children. You cut our pride off at the knees. And yet when, when we see you in that humble state, we see you exalted. Father, I pray that uh, all of us who are gathered here this morning would, would see again the grace of the Lord Jesus, the magnificence of this risen King. God, help us to be a people who are humble and hospitable, who are instructed by our children. God, we want the kind of community that speaks to the greatness of the gospel. Help us, Father, as we slowly stumble towards that ideal. We trust you that you will work, it, work this out by the power of your Holy Spirit, as always you've done to the glory of your name. Amen.